I don't. Am I the Jennifer Lawrence of the soup era? I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing a movie swap of backdoor Christmas movies. I watched Edward Scissorhands for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched The Thin Man. And we're getting seasonal. It's December when you guys are listening to this. So, you know, happy holidays to everyone. My favorite uh, time of the year. It's probably a little chilly. I would say it's snowing where you're at, but like I feel like a lot of our friends are still in the desert, so it's just cold. Yeah, it's honestly, as we're recording this, it's like the chilliest Phoenix has been all year, which is very exciting. So it kind of put me in the mood. It's definitely not like December cold, but it was like the first day that I walked out my door this morning and I was like, ooh, that's kind of nice. Other but you know, the temperature, how you doing? What have you been watching? What are you up to? I'm good. Life's been busy. Uh, Still watching things when I can. I've heard Mercury is going backwards. That's when we're recording this. But, you know, I've been making it to the theater. I watched No Time to Die recently, which was... Yeah, I did too. So Mercury is technically going backwards, yes. Um, And (laughs) it's like, we got like two more weeks too. It's like a long retrograde. Yeah, but I also saw No Time to Die. Very exciting. I've also been extremely busy. So it's the first movie I've seen in theaters in, a, in like quite a few weeks. Uh, we're recording this on the like mid-October. And so far this month, I've seen one movie and one nine-episode TV show. I've had like no <laughs> time to watch anything. But fortunately, last month was like super stacked. So I do have some some things I've been watching been re-watching The Sopranos in light of the Sopranos movie that came out. I finally watched The Graduate and then you and I had a conversation about it. I really liked it. Did you ever revisit it? I haven't revisited it yet. I'm terrible at re-watching movies that I kind of didn't like the first time, but I trust your judgment, which is why we have a podcast together. So I will revisit it at some point. I thought it was great. And then the other big movie that I finally got to from 2020 um, that I really loved was The Empty Man. It's uh, sort of a thriller horror film, very culty, lots of like lore and like folk stuff. I thought it was really good. Anyone who's like kind of into what the fuck is going on movies would really like it. Um, I think it might be like a little, it's not like, it's not gory at all. I just think it might be like a little too disturbing for you. But if you're like in the mood for something where you're like, what is happening? You might, might dive in, see what's going on. I thought it was really good. Maybe I'll get there. I mean, it is a spooky season, as I'm told. Other movies that I've watched, I've watched Sunset Boulevard, the Billy Wilder classic, which that movie Mm. rips. Uh, would mm-hmm. recommend. It's got a really 1950s, this this guy has a voice and he's monotone and narrating <laughs> thing, but it's great. And then I watched Leave No Trace, which is also awesome. It's directed by Deborah Gran- Granick. She did Winter's Bone and has Thomas and McKenzie. I watched it because I think I'm going to go watch Last Night in Soho at some point in the next few weeks, hopefully. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I'm all in on Thomas and McKenzie. I know Anya Taylor-Joy is also like rightly the star of that movie, but uh, shout out to New Zealand. And then because it's fall, I've been rewatching When Harry Met Sally a lot. Oh, I just lot? said I don't like, rewatch movies. How many movies. times have you rewatched it? Uh, three. In oh the my last gosh. <laughs> four weeks. It's That's a perfect so fall movie. It's it's like it is. It really I, is. I put it on in the background when I was packing at one point and ended up just 
delaying packing for 90 minutes. But regardless, uh, more important than that, Amanda, I went back to a concert for the first time. So we're we're feeling great. So I know obviously it's a movie podcast, but music is my number one first love. Television's Mm -hmm. real close. Movies are also real close. But I have seen so much live music lately and you went to your first concert who did you see i saw waxahachie in los angeles at the first congressional church it was beautiful i went by myself uh there are many times where i just literally like put my hands in the air and was just that was my church service for the year also katie kirby was opened up for her and uh it was awesome so happy days live music music is important as uh some of our favorite people consider it uh you've seen a fuck ton of music yeah i've seen a lot of music i went to austin city limits saw a bunch of bands there they were all really incredible i saw lucy dacus with one of our friends down in tucson i was having a hell week of just like busy schedule (laughs) and like no sleep and it was just madness Mm -hmm, and it was mm -hmm. absolutely worth the entire experience of going two hours south on a weekday for a concert and then last night i saw bleachers for my sixth time one of my all-time favorite bands and that was like really the one where i was like if music gets taken away again, like I'm not sure how I'm going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> it was so oh good. Such a good show. Jack is incredible live, but I'm glad you had a good time. We're, we're doing it. We're doing we're, live music. We're trying we're our doing best. Movies. Yeah. It's good, dude. I'll take that music segue to segue a little bit into our, our movies. We're, we're swapping some backdoor Christmas movies this time. Do you want to explain a little bit of like what a backdoor Christmas movie is? Yeah. So, it's not like a traditional Christmas movie where it's like Home Alone, even though some people debate that, or um, All I Want for Christmas, or White Christmas, or you know, It's a Wonderful Life. Backdoor Christmas movies are like the ones that you kind of can be snarky about, like Die Hard is a Christmas movie, or like Iron Man Three is a Christmas movie. It's just a movie that takes place around Christmas, and Christmas probably isn't super critical to the plot. The movie probably came out in like May. And so we figured that's kind of a fun take to do in December, especially since we record these so ahead of time. And so we did backdoor Christmas movies. But before we get to those movies, I finally prompted you ahead of time on these questions. But Amanda, music is important. The holidays are important. So I'm going to ask for your favorite Christmas holiday time albums here. I am just a sucker for a Charlie Brown Christmas. (laughs) I have it on a red and green tie-dye vinyl. I play it while I decorate my apartment for Christmas every year. It's my favorite. It makes me so, 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 so happy. In a kind of a similar vein, I love Bing Crosby, his Christmas music. I'm not like necessarily an album loyalist when it comes to Christmas. I definitely have like playlists or like Mm -hmm. certain songs I have to listen to or like certain versions of songs I have to listen to, but I'm kind of neutral in that zone. But Charlie Brown Christmas is absolutely like a must. Um, Mm -hmm. And then just, I think no one does Christmas music like Bing Crosby. Makes me feel good every time. That's the Christmas spirit. Very good. Whatever puts you in that mood, that's all that matters. Absolutely. And what are, uh, what are some for you? I feel like yours are a little bit more modern and fun. <laughs> you got to play the hits. You got to play the Michael Buble. You got to play the Justin Bieber. Every time when like once Thanksgiving's kind of over, whether it's like the day flipped or th- those around me are like, you know what? Thanksgiving, we're good. It's time to put on in sync. You throw on Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and it's the season. Like that's the starter every single time. My second song I'll play after that is This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. 
which is my favorite Christmas song. But to keep it to albums, uh, Luther Vandross, obviously a very important one in my household as his boys to men. An underrated one that's come out in the last few years, though, is Leslie Odom Jr. Like rock solid and his voice is just the the hark that the angels sing or whatever the hell that thing goes. I do also want to shout out Merry Christmas, Little Mama, which is a great song on a not that impressive Christmas EP <laughs> from Dance <laughs> Rapper, but that song rips every time. <laughs> I love how much our friend John loves Merry Christmas, Little Mama more than I like Merry Christmas, Little Mama. Yeah, there's a, a, a you know... You'll Shoot Your Eye Out, which is a Fall Out Boy song. That one's important to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Christmas, by the way. I'm like, I have like an elf level appreciation and admiration for (laughs) the season. I'm Mm -hmm. like ready for. So my sister likes Thanksgiving a lot, which I think is very funny because she's vegan and loves Thanksgiving. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Out of respect for her, we have a tradition that I will not prematurely celebrate Christmas even though like November 1st like I'm ready to I'm ready to go <laughs> I'm ready but because I love my sister I wait I have mm-hmm. some my a lot of my Halloween decorations are like vaguely autumnal so that mm-hmm. they can kind of stay up a little longer but <laughs> you know we wash dishes on Thanksgiving and it is Christmas day like <laughs> I'm ready <laughs> I respect it. I, I also am a Thanksgiving lover because I also just love food. More than that, it's soup season. You, you know how people listen to Christmas music year round? I feel yeah. like that's how we are with soups. To yeah. bring it back to Adam Driver, we love a good soup. That clip from Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> really just knock again, bingo card. Have you made a soup yet? No, not yet. I haven't had really time to cook. But I'll probably make a really easy like chicken rice soup situation. I do have a really good uh, cheddar potato soup with some like quick pickled jalapenos. Wow. But I kind of want to save that for like 30 degree, 40 degree weather. Oh, I made a clam chowder like a month ago. That was good. That counts. That counts. Yeah. Yeah, I got a Dutch oven. My my girlfriend gave me a Dutch oven for my birthday. And so cook some clam chowder. It rocked i know we got to get to the movies i do just want to say i think my turnaround on soup because i was like soup neutral and then in college soup became part of my personality one i think it was because it was really cheap at like walmart um and soup became fundamental in my college diet but then you made like some homemade soup and you're like hey come over i just made this soup and i'm like what the fuck okay fine i'll come over to your apartment and eat a soup and it was magnificent it was a good soup. And you know what? I had a lot of people text me that day being like, I live three floors. To, can you bring me a bowl of soup? And I was like, yeah, of course. Can you send soup me that recipe? Love. Soup is caring. Soup, soup is, is love. This is a soup podcast. Anyway. Uh, okay. <laughs> this uh, is an let's... Adam Driver girl's soup. <laughs> <laughs> All related. Call the coin flip. Tails. It's tails. Nice. I want to talk about Edward Scissorhands. All right. Let's rock it. All right. So, Zach, you watched truly one of my favorite movies. How did you feel? And tell me what happened. I felt like I watched a fantasy gothic story and that I got an insight into Tim Burton's mind. So with that, I'll dive into the plot summary. 
This movie is directed by Tim Burton, written by Caroline Thompson, and shot by Stephen Jatapsky, somebody who works with Tim Burton a lot. The movie opens on an elderly woman telling a story to her granddaughter about a boy with blades for hands, the titular Edward Scissorhands. Edward, played by Johnny Depp, is the creation of an old event inventor who raises him like a son but dies of a heart attack before he can give Edward real hands. Years later, a housewife and door-to-door Avon saleswoman, Peg Boggs, played by Diane West, tries to sell at the mansion where Edward lives. When she realizes he's alone, she brings him home. There, Edward meets her family, and Edward starts to fall for her daughter, Kim, who is played by Winona Ryder. The neighborhood is mostly intrigued by him, and he falls into their good graces by trimming their hedges into topiaries and then starts grooming their dogs and giving haircuts to the women, mostly earning the trust of everyone. However, Kim's boyfriend, Jim, played by Anthony Michael Hall, is jealous of Edward and basically sets him up to break into Jim's house and gets arrested. Edward is then kind of shunned by the neighborhood. And during Christmas, Edward and Kim dance, but Edward accidentally cuts Kim's hand. And so Jim uses that to accuse Edward of doing it on purpose, causing Edward to flee and kind of destroy all the hedges. Kim then breaks up with Jim. And then he goes and gets drunk and drives a van and almost hits Kim's little brother, Kevin. And Edward saves Kevin, but accidentally cuts him. That leads to the neighbors believing Edward detects Kevin. And so Edward flees back to his mansion. Kim goes after him and Jim grabs a handgun and follows Kim. Jim ambushes Edward and slaps Kim. So an angry Edward then stabs Jim in the stomach. Jim falls out the window and dies. Kim then confesses her love for Edward and they kiss And then Kim leaves, telling the neighbors who had followed the commotion to the mansion that uh, they had killed each other. In the end, it turns out the elderly woman telling the story is actually Kim, who says she believes Edward is still alive because of the snow he creates while carving ice sculptures. Yay. I didn't realize the Kim and Jim thing. That got really difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, this was kind of the first time I noticed it, too. And I've seen this movie so many times. Just listening to you. say Kim and Jim so many different times. I have kind of like the word disassociation thing happening right now. But um, okay, why did you pick this movie? You know, we talked about The Royal Tenenbaums, which was produced by Wes Anderson, another one of my favorite directors and creators. Um, And I, I chose that one because I really felt like it captured his style. And I feel like this is sort of Tim Burton's it's very similar. I think that this kind of gives you everything you need to know about Tim Burton as an artist. There is a weird macabre gothic aspect there is a bright in your face colorful aspect it's so artsy but ultimately like he makes movies that have like a lot of heart to them and you know something that i really appreciate about this movie is that you know the people who are quote unquote the normal ones the people who live in the neighborhood are the weirdos really and the weirdo who lives in a castle on a mountain at the end of their street is the good guy is like the one we relate to. So I Mm -hmm. love that Burton, especially in his early stuff, like really plays with that dichotomy a lot. And because of like the Christmas scene, like I usually uh, watch it around that time. And I thought it would just be like a fun, unexpected little Christmas movie. I actually watched it at the Orpheum in Phoenix last year around Christmas time. They played it and it was just so beautiful. Um, So I thought it would be a, a good, a good fit for our theme. Is the Orpheum where we saw City in Color? Yeah. Nice. That seems beautiful. It was um, very, very nice. 
Yeah, when the Christmas sequence started and, you know, he's cutting the ice sculpture and it's kind of creating snow. I was like, oh, this this is a Christmas movie. I love it. Yeah, like Winona Ryder is like dancing and like all the mm-hmm. snow and it's just so beautiful. So what were some of the things that stood out to you in your first viewing of one of, you know, Tim Burton's most famous movies? The set design, the colors, the look of the movie was just so stark and whimsical i I thought so i haven't seen a lot of tim burton movies but i have recently watched his batman movies and though i don't really love those batman movies because i grew up with the christopher nolan ones those ones are very like stark in their sets and like they have a distinct style and so that was kind of my experience with burton and it was kind of cool seeing him out of that outside of that like ip of batman and kind of how he can play with all of that like we'll get to a lot of the set stuff in the neighborhood because I kind of want to get into that when I we get to the research part of it all. But I thought it was just a perfect contrast in like for when Edward comes in and he comes in with his all black, like steampunk gothic icon look. Just the suburbia, it's just captured perfectly. Even like where they shoot it was very purposeful in Florida because like Tim Burton liked how much sky you could see because Florida is so freaking flat. And so it kind of has that kind of cookie cutter feeling that really just lets Edward be the kind of chaos agent just by existing within this suburb. Like you like to say, it was really just art on screen. Yeah, if I'm not sure if you got to see it, but it started as like a doodle that Tim Burton would draw. Mm-hmm. Like he, the sketches of Edward Scissorhands are really, really cool. There was mm-hmm. a uh, gallery in LA, if I had to guess 10, 15 years ago now, maybe 12, something in there, um, of all of Tim Burton's like sketch art. And I got oh, to go, wow. and it was really, really cool. And it just proves that like, while he is a director, he is very much an artist. And like mm-hmm. these early sketches of Edward Scissorhands like look so much like what they created on screen. And it's so cool. But you're yeah, right. I've, like the the colorful contrast is definitely like it drives home the us versus them aspect of the movie. And in a way, like you could think it's very corny, but you could also just buy into it. And I think it's really cool. It's almost like a cartoon come to life. Like literally, Mm -hmm. if you just made a cartoon and then gave it life, it would be this kind of movie. And so it it stayed in line. It never kind of got out of that tone that they set early. So I thought that was pretty cool. Another thing that stood out, I thought it was really funny how the central family just kind of goes with it. Other than the son, because he's like 10. When you're 10, you think anything weird is something you have to comment on, I guess, or if you're just like a certain kind of Twitter user. But I wanted to bring that to talk about Diane West as Peg. I think she's really the heart of the movie. She's really the one that she could have been freaked out, but she was just like, oh, you're alone and by yourself. Let me give you a home. Let me give you a family. And I really enjoyed her and I enjoyed that character. Maybe the most out of everybody. Yeah, she definitely is. You know, like I said, like his movies are, are like very gothic art but there is so much heart to them and diane west like is the heart of this film just i always think about when she finally like puts makeup on edward in the very beginning because she's an avon lady and she's just she doesn't get and she's like oh 
dear. And she's so <laughs> cute. And your comment about like the family kind of just going with it is something I never really considered, but it's really funny. Like I love Alan Arkin in that first dinner scene. Mm-hmm. He's like, so Ed, what do you, uh, what do you want to do with your life? And, yeah. <laughs> and he just treats him like, you know, a, a neighbor. And it's, it's so funny. And like how Diane's like, honey it's rude to stare and like all these things and it's so cute and uh honestly like the son is kind of like the most normal reaction out of everyone Mm -hmm. um and but i yeah i completely agree that like them welcoming him without even hesitating adds such like a a warmth to this movie yeah because before i even had watched the movie the thing that i was wondering about just based on the very little I knew about it was like, how does he kind of integrate himself into the neighborhood? How does that dynamic work? And Peg kind of creates that safety area. Like her house is the safe space is, is the place where he can just exist and kind of figure things out. And I thought that was really endearing, really charming. Diane West is great in that role. Um, like you said, the, the scenes where she's trying to figure out the makeup stuff is hilarious because she's terrible at it. She needs like a TikTok. Uh, tutorial that part stood out edward scissorhands as a fashion icon uh, another one just an iconic look the hair the leather black the scissors as hands so shout out to the costume designer uh colleen atwood and then other thing that stood out was uh i, I was just like is that anthony michael hall that's the bad guy um because I, I unfortunately for him i've only ever seen him in breakfast club i haven't really watched a lot of movies where he pops up and uh, he really is the source of the white male rage in the movie. But he is almost sort of like as if that character like got jacked and was rich. Like he's still preppy. He's still like he fits into like the ideal suburbia, like the the guy you your mom wants you to date, even though he's like mm-hmm. kind of a douchebag. And he's just so unwelcoming to the 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 oddity and it's because like the world is made for people like anthony and michael hall and he doesn't like that there's someone you know a chaos agent like you said yeah anthony michael hall is really good in this role what are uh some of the things you've kind of thought about and like ruminated over since you watched it um so first uh we can get into johnny depp here um just the real start of kooky Johnny Depp. I read somewhere and I can't remember who I read it from. So sorry to that writer who will never meet me that he was basically Zac Efron, like how Zac Efron was in the oh, mid two thousands yeah. was Johnny Depp pre Edward Scissorhands. Like he was just the pretty boy, beautiful. Um, and people, I think he was 27 when they made this movie. So it was about the time of like, all right, you're, you're beautiful, but what else you got? And then he comes out with Edward freaking scissorhands and he's doing the quirky zany things that he would turn into like a multi-billion dollar movie stardom life as like Captain Jack Sparrow. But in this movie, it's kind of just like just a really good performance. I read that he had studied Charlie Chaplin to figure out how to create kind of empathy and sympathy for his character without using words because it is a pretty physical performance. It is a very anxious uh, fish out of water story. And he just kind of nails it. It was also, I had, it took me a little bit because Johnny Depp is like a hard figure to think about in 2021. But um, in terms of his performance in this movie and in portraying Edward Scissorhands, it's so rock solid that you can't even imagine the other people they considered for this movie. And that list is so long. <laughs> it also kicks off a, like a director 
actor partnership mm-hmm, that is like mm-hmm. for the ages. After they do Edward Scissorhands, they do Ed Wood, they do Sleepy Hollow, they do Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they do um, Sweeney Todd. Um, I think he's in Alice in Wonderland, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they end up like doing a lot of these like very iconic roles together. They make a lot of sets together. And I think that I'm glad they found each other. A lot of those movies, uh, not a lot of those movies, some of those movies meant like a lot to me growing up. And I like that they have, you know, Tim is so odd in his fantasy world. And I think mm-hmm. that Johnny Depp's has an ability to kind of become anyone and anything. That's why he is like indistinguishable from Captain Jack Sparrow is because he has this ability to sort of be a chameleon in a lot of his roles. But yeah, he he definitely was like a heartthrob at the time. I'm not sure about the timeline. I'd have to really re- like look it up more. But, you know, he did date Winona Ryder for a long time and they were in this movie together. That also has some historically complicated uh, history to it, but I think that <laughs> like Johnny Depp got the chance to be weird because of Tim Burton, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm glad that they got to work together, even if Johnny Depp, you know, is a complicated actor and person to talk about now. Yeah, I read. Um, so Stephen Hyden wrote for Grantland, R.P. Grantland. Uh, he R.P. wrote about the relationship of Tim Burton and Johnny Depp and how it kind of started high and slowly turned into like dark shadows but he said in the article quote tim burton single-handedly invented the surefire box office formula of dressing up johnny depp in fanciful clothes and letting him unleash his inner freak which which, yeah like that becomes johnny depp's thing like and like as the collaborations with those two kind of grow it kind of becomes from like tim burton's weird that he brings johnny depp into to like it's a johnny depp movie that's weird and Tim Burton's doing his weird thing too. Does it surprise you at all to know that Tim Burton for a very long time was in a relationship with Helena Bottom Carter? I thought they were still together, honestly, until I started researching. I was like, oh no, they broke up. Um, <laughs> kind of but yeah, wild, not yeah. shocking at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, we can take this time. Uh, another thing I thought about the most since watching is Tim Burton, the whimsical nature, the whimsical detailed nature of Tim Burton. Uh, it turns out it was a very personal movie for him. Like you said, he had drawn this character, Redward Scissorhands, like in high school or something. And the movie was kind of based on his experience growing up in the suburbs and kind of feeling a little isolated, kind of feeling a little bit like an outsider. And the screenwriter, Caroline Thompson kind of wrote it as a love poem to Burton. She called him something like the most articulate person who couldn't put together sentences. (laughs) That Um, makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. And it's an extreme movie, like in the aesthetics of it, but there's so much heart in the middle of those things to kind of, there's a lot more heart to this movie than I thought there would be going into it. Just the amount of empathy or the amount of sympathy that you feel for Edward, the amount of protection you almost feel for him right away. Mm-hmm. You're like, like, these people are weird. You're not the weird one. And I read in an interview um, Tim Burton gave to Rolling Stone in 1992. He said, uh, monster movies are his form of like myth and fairy tale. And in America, in suburbia, there's, quote, no sense of culture, no sense of passion. And so he kind of played with that dynamic, um, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And that, I mean, that definitely shows true in pretty much everything we've talked about so far with like, you know, the distinct difference in color and style and, 
even the way he moves and the way he talks is so different than every other person and every Mm -hmm. other person in the movie kind of like wants to conform him like almost as soon as they meet him but you can't like he isn't human so you can't yeah change him which is very like not surprising that Tim Burton was like, I was a weird kid growing up in the suburbs. Like, yes, the, it is a straight line from one to one. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that this feels very <laughs> personal to him. I did want to take a second here to talk about Vincent Price. So Vincent Price plays the inventor and he mm-hmm. is very famous for being in all of the classic horror and monster movies. He had like a um, a very long career and for the the role of the inventor was written specifically for Vincent Price. And I have like read interviews that Tim Burton was like, oh, like I am going to be kind of okay in my career because Vincent Price agreed to do this movie and it's like wow. his hero and all this stuff. So finding out that like monster movies, you know, mean everything to him is the least shocking information. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really cool. Um, I also the other thing I thought about for this movie really early when I was watching it was just like was just kind of like the disability commentary on it. You know, uh, obviously Edward has scissors for hands and that creates some problems for himself. And Caroline Thompson, the screenwriter, actually cried when she found out how much it mattered to the disabled community um, in an article for Insider.com, which I thought was really cool. Like it, it yeah. makes sense. Like it's almost a defense of like, hey, Edward is a human. Like he is a person. He can do really awesome things. But even if he doesn't do those awesome things, he just deserves to be treated like everybody else and not like this, you know, freak or anything like that, um, which I thought was really cool that it wasn't a movie intended to kind of have that um, message or um, – story behind it but that it evolved into it which is always kind of cool it's always um you know special about movies that have those long tails in different kind of ways kind of similar to like when we talked about rocky horror picture show and that's how that's kind of more obviously to the queer community um it's cool that edward scissorhands kind of has that as well yeah i love that and then uh the other thing was uh that this is such a dynamic of any famous person now like this movie and it probably is the dynamic of every famous person ever, but the cycle of that is so much faster now because we live in a 24-hour news cycle with social media, blah, blah, blah. But it's just a new fun person comes onto the scene. There's a little bit of skepticism. A lot of people start to like them. It's a very fun rise. And then the backlash inevitably comes every time, whether they actually do something wrong or they do something that is just a misstep the backlash comes and then there's the backlash to the backlash and then you end up with you know just another celebrity in the cycle um mm-hmm. i just couldn't not think of that <laughs> all right so my brain is fried <laughs> obviously this movie and sort of like this whole world was so new to you what were some of the things that you looked up after you watched it I had to look up what the fuck is ambrosia salad or ambrosia or whatever. It's ambrosia. That's truly Am- one of my favorite lines in all of cinema is when she walks through <laughs> and she's like, and I'll bring the ambrosia salad. And you're like, okay. I was like, what, is that a, honestly, the first thing I thought of was, is that a big deal? Like, <laughs> it's so um, like suburb white people. Like it, it is something white people would bring to a barbecue straight up. <laughs> And the character we're talking about is uh, is Joyce Monroe. She's played by Kathy Baker. Um, so good. She's yes, she's all get out. 
terrifying she would end up in a viral video on twitter now um but so i looked up what ambrosia salad is and it's basically whipped cream mini marshmallows pineapples orange and mascherano cherries and shredded coconut and it sounds disgusting disgusting. have you ever had it yes i'm a white person i've been to a barbecue (laughs) it's gross i don't suggest it like 50s food is mad wild like oh everything was a jello or everything had whipped cream yeah gross and none of it was seasoned it's just no <laughs> it's uh, so after i looked that recipe up and you can find her ambrosia salad recipe online because the internet the next thing i looked up and the thing that I was more curious about which i mentioned earlier was how on earth did they create the world because i was like is that a set that's a really big set if it is um it turns out they filmed north of tampa uh, in a real neighborhood, which you can go to and visit. And like somebody just recently sold the house that the Boggs family lived in. So when they went, they had to negotiate with the residents to like, hey, we want to use your houses and we want to paint them different colors. And they had a deal where it was like, if they filmed inside the people's house, they got a little bit more money than the other residents who would have to like move their cars or whatever. And at first, the residents were pissed and then they're like one second they talked about it amongst themselves and then they asked for more money and then it was fine then they got to work to creating the set they based the colors on those like neko wafers those like mm-hmm. pastel colors and it's both comedic and really awesome and so you know they work so hard on everything the topiaries the the design of everything that burton wanted to highlight their work and so he shot uh, a lot of wide angles and uh the cinematographer said he always shot a master shot like an establishing shot just so he could capture the scene there's a great article on the ringer by jay kring shrifles shrifles i'm sorry if i don't get your name right but they kind of just talk about how they created it um to the point where like tim burton made a fake paper called the tinsmith times and he like handed out to the neighbors to let them know where to park that day it was so just like the practicality of it all like there's not a i don't think there's a hint to cgi or there's maybe like maybe one or two shots um where they use it but you can feel it. It does feel like both unreal and real. And it makes sense that it's in Florida because Florida suburbs are just a specific kind of suburb. It was really cool. A Florida suburb is one that would have ambrosia salad at a barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea. I'm actually going to Tampa next month. I might try to go find this place. Um, I had no idea that it was a real place. I thought it was, I honestly, I thought it was like a box set. um, Yeah. Similar to Anderson is that he kind of shot it like in a shoebox basically. Yeah. Um, but that's really cool. That's like an, a, a very interesting sort of history that I didn't know about. So I love that. So the neighborhood is in Lutz, Florida. It's like, I think it's called Tinsmith Circle. Um, yeah, people, there's like YouTube videos of people just driving through it. It's a super basic ass looking neighborhood now. Uh, it like obviously it doesn't have the same paint and whatever. A thing I read, and we can move on after this, but is that after they filmed the movie, they spray painted the houses back to their normal color. But because the spray paint, like when you paint it, when you spray on the paint, it's thinner. So like they would chip away and just have these very bright colors underneath, uh, which is something that the people who made the movie laughed about later. That's kind of fun. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. I'm glad you liked it. Seems like you liked it at least. Um, it's such like a weird little art project of a movie. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Is it, did it leave you with any questions that I can maybe help answer? Not really about the movie. Actually, two questions. One about the movie, one less so. First, the dumb one. 
what tools would work as hands? Like scissors are obviously terrible. I'm thinking maybe hammers because you yeah. could use like the claw aspect as mm, like mm-hmm. help pick things up. Yeah. And they're very like, there's a lot of nooks and crannies in a hammer and maybe you can help like carry stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can be gentle with like a hammer and you could still like touch someone and not hurt them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. That was the first thing I thought of too. I, maybe screwdrivers would be really handy, but again, you would have to kind of be careful with the pokiness of them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe wrenches. I don't know. This is such a dumb question. Anyway, um, question I do have for you is the Winona Ryder of it all. Like, yeah. She's not somebody that I really cared about growing up. She wasn't in a lot of movies I watched growing up. I haven't seen Heathers, which is a movie I'm sure we'll talk about at some point uh, in this podcast. But was this like her breakout performance? What, like, what was the Winona Ryder thing? If you can answer this for me. Yeah. So I have a complete opposite relationship to Winona Ryder. Uh, she means a lot to me. She's in a lot of movies that mean a lot to me. She's in three movies, this one included, that I have on our like original list, including Heather's. This isn't her breakout movie. She was in two other movies before she was in Beetlejuice. But Beetlejuice was definitely like mm. the biggest one, which is another Tim Burton movie, which is the third Tim Burton movie I have on our list. I think it is <laughs> really important to watch. It's very fun. It's my favorite Michael Keaton performance. But she kind of got started in like the late 80s. But the 90s era of Winona Ryder is like is what means a lot to me. And it's kind of everything that she's known for. In 88, you get Heather's. And then 90, you get Edward Scissorhands. In 93, you get Age of Innocence. In 94, you get Reality Bites, which is not very good, but she's very good in it. (laughs) 94, you get Little Women. 96, you get Boys. 96, again, you get The Crucible. She's in an Alien movie in 97. She's in Girl Interrupted, very famously, in 1999. And then she's kind of in a, a, a couple of other things in the two, like in the early two thousands. Like she's in an uncredited guest role, basically in Zoolander. <laughs> she's in an episode of Friends. But yeah, I those, just remember that's like a chunk of her like known career is in that like late eighties to nineties, and this movie is like in that path. Like, yeah, because I remember when Stranger Things first came out, everybody was like, oh, Winona Ryder, I love her. She's back. She's like, so happy she's in this show. And I had no idea what anybody was talking about. Um, I watched so, Stranger yeah. Things because Winona Ryder was in it. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. But I okay. think like in general, I think Winona Ryder is so beautiful. And she had a very public relationship with Johnny Depp for a long Mm, time mm -hmm. and so like them being in this movie together was a really big deal and like them being in a relationship in this movie is a really big deal I I even wrote in my notes I was like this is like my favorite era of Winona's career and sort of like how she kind of became established was in this it was in this same zone sweet I'm glad I have a better understanding of that now do you have any remaining questions or comments that you would like to make Yeah, so I did want to bring up Vincent Price and Winona, which we talked about. But I think the other like massive element of this movie and of Tim Burton's career is his relationship with Danny Elfman. So Mm. Danny Elfman is a composer and he has done basically all of the music for all of Tim Burton's movies. Even like, so Tim Burton, even though it is 
commonly assumed that he made Nightmare Before Christmas. He is not the director, but he is mm-hmm. on the like production staff, so it gets associated with him. But Danny Elfman did all the music, and that is kind of how it gets thrown into the Tim Burton world as well. Gotcha. But I think the music is such an important aspect of this film. I don't think a lot of it would really resonate without some of the 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 score that comes with it. And the one that I think about specifically is the song Ice Dance, um, which comes in a scene I've already talked about, which is when the Christmassy scene when uh, Edward is doing the ice sculpture and it starts snowing. And it's the scene where Winona Ryder is like twirling around in the snow and it's the song. But like even listening to that, like I listen to that song like at Christmas time. Like to me, like that's now a Christmas song. And it just fills me with like such like a beautiful angelic joy every time I hear it. And I just think that without Danny Elfman's involvement in this movie, it may not have been nearly as strong. And I think that that is something that just needed to be brought up. Would you watch it again? So when I first watched the movie, I'll admit to you, Amanda, I didn't really like it that much. I was like, this is kind of, it was like too weird. I didn't really get it. Um, maybe I wasn't in the right mood. So I sat on it for a little bit, read about it, learned how personal it was for Tim Burton and all those things. Then I rewatched it and I really appreciated it a lot more. So yes, I would watch it again. They don't make them like this with the practical sets anymore. So uh, even just for that, it's cool to look at. Absolutely. You will get a chance to watch other Tim Burton movies. Um, <laughs> I tried not to do the like, I was an emo teen. Now you have to watch all of them. But I think like... <laughs> Truly between Edward Scissorhands for the art of it all. We have one coming up, Big Fish, for like the storytelling and like that aspect of it, which doesn't look like a Tim Burton movie. But now that you know Tim Burton a little bit more and you kind of know like how he makes things, you'll see it in there. And then uh, Beetlejuice, which I think is just a fucking classic. So those are the three <laughs> I'm going to make you watch. Um, so you got one off the list already. <laughs> Sweet. Eventually, I'll just make you run through a bunch of sports movies. Maybe I'll just find ways to be like Rocky 2, Rocky 3, yeah, Rocky 4. I like to do it. <laughs> cool. Uh, you want to talk about The Thin Man now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to go. We're going back in time, baby. This episode of Blind Spotters is not sponsored by anybody, but we would love it if you shopped local this holiday season. Even if you just get some gift cards from your favorite local restaurants or bookstores, it's always good to support small businesses, especially right now. For me, I'll be going to the Writer's Block Investa Coffee in Las Vegas just to name a couple of spots previously shouted out on the pod. Keep it local and have a happy holiday season. Amanda, these are the good old days. You watched The Thin Man. I did. So this was a movie I had never heard of. <laughs> I even like double checked in our notes that I was going to watch the right one because um, there were like <laughs> a couple options. Um, so yeah, I, I literally had like no expectations, which was kind of cool. So here is kind of what happened. Please correct me if I get any of this wrong. We meet Dorothy and her fiance, Tommy, and they go to her dad, Clyde Winant, to say that they're going to get married just after Christmas. Clyde says that he's leaving town for a bit, but he'll be back in time for the wedding because he's going to be back before Christmas. He won't tell his daughter, his ex-wife Mimi, 
or his lawyer, McCullough, where he's going. It's a secret. He is an inventor and he doesn't want anyone to like steal his invention, basically. Um, then we meet Nick and Nora Charles. Nick is a retired detective who married the affluent Nora Charles. They have a very fun, high society life together. They're drinking. They're throwing parties. It is the non-dramatic Gatsby vibe that <laughs> I'm, I'm all for. And we meet them. They're having a Christmas party. It's a Christmas movie. When Clyde doesn't show up for Dorothy's wedding, she asks Nick to find her father. He says no because he is retired because he married a rich woman, which I love that. And <laughs> But Nora kind of begs to see him in action. She thinks it'll be kind of fun and sexy. Um, then Clyde's mistress, Julia Wolf, appears murdered and the plot thickens. It's no longer a missing person. It's a murder case. Uh, Dorothy believes her father to be innocent, but the evidence is really pointing to him. Later, a man named Noonan appears murdered as well, and this adds the body count to two. So now we're really, really getting up there. Uh, the police are investigating all while Nick is insisting that he isn't, despite Nora's intrigue, but we know that he is. <laughs> and eventually, Nick, along with the star of the show, Asta, along with Asta's help, discover a body buried in Clyde's workshop. So this kind of brings the body count up to three and people are freaking out. This is, we got to find Clyde. He's murdered three people and he's gone missing being the cheeky guy that he is. Nick arranges a dinner party with all of the suspects where after sort of a clue like back and forth with a bunch of the characters, um, he unveils that McCullough is the murderer the body in the workshop was Clyde's, not a, a different body that Clyde killed. It was actually Clyde's. McCullough killed him because he was embezzling from him. He murdered Julia because she knew, and he murdered Noonan because he saw Julia get murdered. The movie ends with Tommy and Dorothy finally getting married and going on a trip back to San Francisco with our friends Nick and Nora Charles. Did I get it all? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hyper confusing when you're watching it because I, honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't know which one. I thought Nick and Nora were Dorothy and Timmy at first. I didn't know otherwise until like midway through watching it for the first time. So I thought you did a great job. Thank you. There's some like vague other police work that's going on that I kind of glazed over, but you know. No, you, like, it was very streamlined. There's a lot of like red herrings in this movie. Um, yeah. So I thought you'd nailed it. Why of all the possible movies did you pick this one for me? So one, I think this is like the second or third murder mystery I picked for you again, because I know my co-host, um, but I just thought it was fun. Like a 1930s movie, uh, Nick and Nora Charles are really just uh, an early iconic duo. Like the chemistry that uh, William Powell and Myrna Loy have is like, kind of legendary it's like that old hollywood type of thing um really like their dynamic i think they were one of the first examples of like how marriage didn't mean the end of like sex and fun and romance and adventure and and also an iconic pet performance from asta so you know i just thought it was worthwhile it's just one of those movies that not a lot of people bring up but whenever you say like nick and nora charles people kind of know and to bring it back to our tumblr ass selves uh the person who wrote the book that Nick and Nora's infinite playlist was based on named them Nick and Nora because he wanted or because they wanted to have the couple like kind of have that same kind of quippy banter between them. So I thought that was a little fun tie in. 
Yeah, that was actually uh, one of the things I did look up after the movie <laughs> is if it was related. <laughs> nice. So let's get into the categories right now. Let's, uh, you know, first watch impressions. What stood out to you on this first watch? This movie is very funny. I laughed yeah. a lot during this movie. And I looked up later that it is billed as a comedy. So, you know, saying the movie is funny is not really that inventive. But I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. And I was laughing a lot. Their dynamic is incredible. The old timey language and the speed at which they talk is kind of hard to keep up with. <laughs> so I have admitted, and you know this about me, I'm a big believer in subtitles. Shout out mm-hmm. to Bong Joon-ho. Love subtitles. The subtitles couldn't keep up with yeah. how fast the dialogue was going. And you know how like you know how like restaurants have like slang that if you don't work at yes. a restaurant, you yep. don't. It, that's what it felt like. I was like, I know this is English, but I don't know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> and if it had gone like a little slower, I probably would have been able to follow. But once I like kind of got into it, like maybe after the first like 20 minutes, I had a lot easier of a time. But man, it really just, it really came at you. And yeah. uh and that was fun. It's a it's an environment I'm not usually in. That's why it is one of my blind spots. So it was definitely my fir- first impression for me. And I really had to like hone in on what was going on. I could never have watched this movie without subtitles. I never watch any movie without subtitles, but I definitely couldn't have done it this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's super fair. It was definitely a movie I watched for the first time with, we've talked about this, how we both kind of will sometimes bring up the Wikipedia page while we're watching it to kind of keep up because it's really impossible to, the chemistry between the two leads is so great. They There's so many quotes about both of them just loving the the chemistry that they instantly found that they didn't feel like acting the script was written by albert hackett and francis goodrich who are a married couple obviously the movie is almost 100 years old and so a lot of the slang or whatever i had no idea what was going on but it is just you know it's a nice little time capsule of it i mean at one point nick literally says stick them up <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. It's which is hilarious. I mean, as two people who are self-described fast talkers, I think I'm like a way faster talker than you, not as a competitive way, but just as a self-deprecating way. And people who also love Aaron Sorkin, it's kind of fun to watch the kind of dialogue in which Sorkin definitely, like maybe not based on this movie specifically, but the era of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Sorkin was definitely in my mind as soon as I started. I was like, oh, my God, there's so many there's so many words in such a small amount of time. And I was like, how Sorkin? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's kind of a lot of characters that kind of look all very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like I, I could keep up, but like when they all sat at the table at the very end, I was like, OK, now I know who everyone is. truly and i i was like 98 percent there but then like when they were all at the table i was like okay now i really know how everyone's connected the end scene was my favorite i thought it was so fun i thought mimi's new husband's real wife like her aspect was really funny yeah yeah there's so many like character dynamics and everyone's so flirty in the movie and it's just like so powerful i thought that was great they're great characters even though there's like a hundred of them there's really like 12 but it feels like 100 of them but they're just so well written and so developed and i loved how they were all connected i thought that was a very fun aspect of the whole thing even if it like was a little tough to keep up with at times 
Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely appreciate the dinner scene as well, not only because it showed the resolution to everything, but also I finally was able to put the names to the faces. I really wanted people to have like the name tags on them uh, or something like that, or the subtitles to have like the name of the people who's saying what, but it is a lot coming at you. It's a tight 90 minute movie. Um, it doesn't do a lot of explaining until that very end and even then like nick is like i don't know if this is gonna work but like it's gonna keep going with it and that's kind of how i felt watching it i'm like i don't know what's happening but i'm kind of going with it Um, yeah i think once i like like i said like i felt like i was like i felt i thought i had figured it out and when they sat down i was like okay i was right i i do have confirmation (laughs) that i know who everybody is and like how they're all related to each other um and all that kind of stuff that was a lot of fun i liked i liked it a lot Nice. So what have you thought about the most since watching the movie? So obviously the duo of William Powell and Myrna Loy, they play Nick and Nora. They mm-hmm. ended up, you know, the, the dynamic was so good that they end up making a, a, a couple of sequels to the movie. So the thin man, that the titular thin man is Clyde who is missing. But it was so confusing to audiences that after this movie, the thin man refers to Nick. <laughs> like everyone thought Nick was the thin man and it all it's because it's not very direct it comes from like one line that Nick says about halfway through the movie is that they're like looking mm-hmm. for a thin man with a mustache or something and that is like the only indicator we get that Clyde is the thin man but because of that and because it was like so misunderstood they basically for the rest of the sequels and I want to say there's like five altogether maybe six altogether the thin man refers to Nick, um, which I think is very funny that they're yeah. like, oh, um, okay, <laughs> guess we'll change it. Right. They just kind of went with the flow. It kind of is validating for you that it's like, oh, everybody was kind of confused on, on some yeah. aspects of this movie. Their, um, their on-screen chemistry is top-notch. Like, they don't make them. Like, that's so rare. And like mm-hmm. I, I thought a lot about the scene where like Nick falls into Nora's lap and Nora pushes him off and like they're just they're so bantery and and him being like, why would I ever work? That's why I married you. And yeah. like I think it would be cool to see you work. And he's like, ah, work's overrated. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just or the part where they're at the party back and forth all the time. All the time and at the party where they're preparing everybody's drinks and Nick is like, is this your drink? And she's like, yes. And then he finishes it. Yeah, where like he's just, like, "What are you, can you get me my drink? What are you drinking? Rye. And he finishes it. He's like, yep, this was your drink. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's just all those little moments. And like when I rewatched it for our podcast, I tried to watch as much as I could without the subtitles to kind of focus on there's so much physical comedy and, and like body language comedy. I guess that's physical comedy that they do. And it's like a look here or like the eyes they give each other um, over the shoulder to one another. And it's just all on step. And, you know, with these old movies, there's not a lot of cutting either. And so you get to see their like full body characters kind of come to life. And it's just, it's, it's irresistible. It's, it's, it's charm to the upteenth degree. To the point about the sequels, I tried to watch all of them before we recorded. I only watched uh, the second and third movies, which was After the Thin Man and Another Thin Man. Both pretty fun. After the Thin Man has Jimmy Stewart. A young Jimmy Stewart shows up. Um, Love him. Which was shocking. And it's really just much like the Fast and Furious. 
No, honestly, that's what I was thinking no. of. Much like the Fast and Furious movies where they play the hits uh, in at least the next two sequels, they're just playing the hits of and the beats of the story that people love. Uh, so we've been doing this for 100 years now and nothing's changed. Um, I mean, yeah, honestly, anyway. even like the titles of calling them after the thin man and another thin man, you might as well call it too thin, too man. It's <laughs> 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 like so not creative. I can't but wait I for want, the thin I man Tokyo drift. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, it's good. All right. So, out to you. More things that I thought about that dog. <laughs> too thin, too man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Mean, good God. Uh, the sequel is of like after the thin man and then the third is another thing <laughs> i think they should change i think they should bring this back i think they should change thor love and thunder to just another thor <laughs> like, how funny would that be i love like, it, it so there's like look we don't whatever you know what you're getting into the last one is called song of the thin man and it's like kind of a musical <laughs> it's just so good i love that it's so funny all right we gotta talk about the dog the dog fucking rules. So yes. Asta has lots of roles in the in the movie. He's very fun. His he's played by a dog named Skippy. Skippy was in two other movies after this mm-hmm. movie. This is Skippy's Apex Mountain, if we will. And uh, I love I love an actor dog. Crushed it. He's got great comedic timing. The very end where he covers his eyes. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. I love it. So that dog really stole the show in every scene he was in. And uh, at the at the time where Nick does say, stick him up. And he's like, "My, you know, if you're not careful, my dog will attack you. And he goes and like lays down. It's so cute. It's like perfect timing. So love the dog. That was something I thought about a lot. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, I mentioned it a little bit, but I kind of want to... Um, expand on it the ending the the dinner scene gave me a lot of like clue even like dial m for murder which we just recently did knives out where it's like the guy figures it out and with all the big characters in it and you he explains the whole thing and like the the cunning detective and um you know the clue aspect is like the back and forth with all the characters trying to figure out like who is the murderer and like mm-hmm. knives out is like the and very similar to Dial M for Murder, where he's like, you know, the, the cool detective that figured it out from the beginning and kind of led everyone into their trap. And I loved that, you know, this same exact style is still being used. Yeah, it's just, it's funny. I think in uh, After the Thin Man, uh, it's a similar thing where Nick just brings everybody into the same room to explain the plot. Again, they play the hits in, in those sequels. And yeah, it's so smooth. It's, it's, really kind of just sorts everything out for you too, which is super helpful. What are some things you looked up about the movie after you watched it? So sort of famously, like actors that have that much on-screen chemistry end up dating in real life, i.e. Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I wanted to know, did Powell and Lloyd date in real life? They made all those movies together, clearly have like some of the best on-screen chemistry I've ever seen. And um, they didn't. They remained very good friends. You know, who knows what that means in like 1930s, <laughs> but yeah. they were not a public figure couple at any point. That's kind of refreshing when that happens. Um, we did talk about it earlier. I wanted to know if Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist had any uh, connection. It did. Um, I'm glad you noted it and I thought about it. And of course, <laughs> like I always do, I wanted to know if there was any Oscars situations for this movie. It it was the seventh Academy Awards. Oh my God. 
That's what I said. And it was, <laughs> it had four nominations, including Best Picture and Best Actor, but it did not end up winning any of them. It lost both Best Picture and Best Actor to It Happened One Night. But yeah, it did get some nominations. It had, you know, Academy recognition for the acting and how fun the movie was. And I think like that year, there were like three actors, four movies. Like the Academy Awards are so different, which like, yeah. of course they are. Like that's <laughs> you know, not a revolution. But when I saw it, I was like the seventh annual. And I was like, oh my God, if there's only three choices for best actor, I'm glad this was one of them. That I feel like that means a lot more than it does now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought it was just to bring it back to, again, the the reason to watch this movie, the main crux of why anybody remembers this movie is the chemistry to, of Powell and Loy. And you can't have one without the other. I think whenever they're separated in the movie, it kind of falters a little bit. Um, it kind of loses some of that steam because you just want to hang out with this couple. You want to be the third. You want to be Asta, really, and just go get so many drinks with them. They drink I want to be invited to their Christmas so party. Much. I want a Christmas party just like that. Uh, he when he's walking around just like handing out drinks and like it's kind of establishing that these are all Nick's friends and Nick's friends are all kind of like terrible people and Nora's like yeah okay you have great friends and they're and and the part where like they're all getting rowdier and rowdier and Nick and Nora just kind of look at each other like man aren't these people great they're so in love when she shows up at the bar and he's kind of already drunk and she's like I'll have six martinis which is I'll get to that later I just enjoy hanging out in that world and to the point of the nick and nora playlist part that really is like i think why i figured out or found what the movie was like i i think somebody i follow on letterboxd name checked them in their review and i was like that's interesting and then i watched the movie so you know no free ads but shout out to letterboxd and follow zach on letterboxd (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun so the honestly the last scene didn't really leave me. It kind of wrapped up all my questions. It didn't really leave mm-hmm. me with a lot of questions, but you have a question for me, which I'm excited for. Yeah. So to the point where I was mentioning, whenever we finally meet like Nick and Nora at the bar and Nora is like, how many martinis have you had? Six. And she says to the bartender, line them up right here or whatever she says. I wanted to ask you, Amanda, what's the most of one drink you've ordered in one night? So excluding our college uh, times on mill. No, that doesn't count. Um, Shout out to Casa. Yeah. And honestly, that's like you order like three drinks all night, but they're like 64 ounces. So it doesn't really yeah, count. Yeah, yeah. Not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. But I was thinking about this and I think it was actually this past weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to a wedding of two of my dear friends who are from Wisconsin and I didn't know anyone really at the wedding and I met a bunch of people and they were very welcoming. The Midwest is very kind. And I had a, I ended up having a great time, met lots of friends. And um, the bar had spirits and they also had beer, but they had the famously Wisconsin only spotted cow. And oh. I started my night with gin and soda, which is my drink. And I was chatting with somebody and I asked like, is spotted cow from a Wisconsinite's point of view. So I think it's like kind of overrated that you're known for. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it to say you did it. Or is it like truly like that incredible? And he's like, no, really? Like you got to have one. (laughs) (laughs) And I am not really a beer drinker. It's not something that I am like, I, I, I seek. I don't know how many spotted cows I had, 
but if I had to guess, it's in the six to eight range. I love it. <laughs> and that's like all I drank for the rest of the night. And I was out for a long time because we went to a bar <laughs> after the wedding and I had a spotted cow there. Like every bar has spotted cow in Wisconsin. Um, it was a lot of fun and it's a great beer. That's, that's so amazing. Last weekend. <laughs> As someone who was kind of there for your Genesis moment of like trying beers, that really just brings a certain kind of music to my ears. Uh, happy for you. Happy for Wisconsin and their regional beers. Shout out to, you know, regional beers like Gingling. Shout out to regional you know, that's beers. a good one. <laughs> if anyone would um, like to smuggle me some Spotted Cow, let me know. Amazing. To answer that question also, I think one time, I think this is like early like after turning 21 i went to valley bar on their happy hour and they had half off old fashions and for some reason i just ended up i was just waiting for something to happen i forget what and i i do remember having to pay for like seven old fashions and then i made the walk home to uh roosevelt point so it happens what are you gonna do sometimes you need six martinis sometimes you need eight spotted cows sometimes you need seven old fashions it's like (laughs) Whatever. <laughs> so a thing in the Thin Man series too is that like Nora just never lets Nick sleep a hangover off. That's like, really funny. <laughs> like every time he's like they go get hammered, they go party, and then Nick is like, "Yes, it's time to go to sleep." And then Nora has to talk to him about something. In this movie, she's like, "Are you asleep?" Nick says, "Yes," and she goes, "Good. I wanted to talk to you," which I think is hilarious. Anything that uh, else you wanted to mention? No, I think we we kind of hit it all. It's not like the deepest movie and i don't see that say that in a pretentious way it's just kind of a breezy b movie with a really fun central couple um so i think we kind of wrapped it all pretty well would you watch this again i would this movie was a lot of fun i like the tight 90 minutes of it um you love a tight 90 minute movie i love appreciate a tight 90 that minute. as your co-host with very little free time and i'm always like watch this three and a half hour movie (laughs) it's about like art (laughs) it's a feeling yeah yeah i I thought it was great i thought it was a lot of fun um i may or may not venture into the thiniverse but i (laughs) might continue to watch this one (laughs) the thiniverse i love it i'm all in on the uh, the, the the Thin Man Extended Universe or the, the cinematic Thin Man game. Tokyo Drift. <laughs> Thin Man 3 Tokyo Drift. It just becomes T9 unhinged. I, it's honestly fun. It's fun to marathon them because you're just hanging out with these, you know, for as much as you can watch one of the movies over and over again, it's fun to keep putting them in different situations. It would be a really good binge, like if you're sick and you yes. just like need to sit on the couch and you need to watch like a bunch of movies all day. That are like low stakes, but lots of fun, you know, because it's low stakes and they talk so quickly. If you miss a couple paragraphs, you're going to figure it out at the end. Like you're really only in it for the Nick and Nora scenes anyway. Like that would be really good. Maybe I'll I I have to get my booster soon and I was sick the day after my shot. So maybe I'll have a, a post booster sick day and watch all the movies of the Thiniverse. That sounds great. I will say, when I was watching The Thin Man and Another Thin Man and After The Thin Man or whatever order that is, I was thinking, wow, it's so fun to see these characters in different situations. And then I was like, shit, Amanda's going to make fun of me because it's literally just TV. That is literally just TV. (laughs) 
but I'm glad you enjoyed the movie and the Thinniverse. What? Um, which movie did you, I? I know the answer, but which movie did you like out of the two of them? I, I like the Thin Man. It it just it's a good breezy movie. It's kind of yeah. what I was feeling at the time too. What about you? I'm assuming it's Edward Scissorhands. It is Edward Scissorhands because I have so I have like such a history with it. But like I really liked this movie, so it de- definitely yeah, and I really liked Edward Scissorhands too. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, um, that was great. Great job, everyone. Another Happy good holidays. swap by us. Great swap by us. Great listen. I hope this unpacks other people's blind spots. Great holiday films. Great like family holiday films. Yeah. Going back, don't know what to do hanging out with your parents. You watch any of these movies. <laughs> kind of nice. What are the next movies we're swapping in the year 2022? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> In 2022, our first movie swap is going to be a pair of feel-good films. I'm going to watch Big Fish for the first time. We're going back-to-back, Burton. Yeah, And Amanda is going to watch a Tom Hanks classic in Big. I'm so amped. So I do know a little. So so of course, I'm going to ask you what you know about Big Fish. But what I know about Big, it's been a movie on my list for a really long time. I have seen, I would say, a very good portion of Tom Hanks movies. He's my favorite actor. And this movie has been on my list for a long, long time. I know that young child makes a wish to become big. He is big as Tom Hanks, but still has the spirit of a child. That's all I really know about it. But I have wanted to see this movie for a long time. So when you said this was potentially an option, I jumped on it. I'm I'm amped. Uh, What do you know, if anything, about Big Fish? I know it's directed by Tim Burton. I know that Ewan McGregor is in the movie and he has a Southern accent. And for at least a year, I got Big Fish confused with Tree of Life. (laughs) (laughs) Because they both involve trees, I think. Kind of. I think there's a tree in Big Fish. The the Big Fish poster has a tree. Yeah, I'm sure it does. So so basically nothing (laughs) to answer the question. I'm so excited. This is truly like like in my top movies. It's, Do you like it better than Scissorhands? Probably, but they're so Ooh. different. Okay. Like they're just such different movies. Um, I think it's my, my favorite romantic scene in all of movies is in this movie. And all of the aspects of like the Tim Burton, like he loves a, like a mythos fantasy story is in this world. And not as much like dark gothic, you know, like that he's kind mm-hmm. of known for. So I think you might like this movie a lot. Um, there's so many actors in this movie. There's a lot going on. It's a lot of fun. It's kind of a wild ride. I'm I'm excited to rewatch it for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute since I've watched Big, but I'm very excited to rewatch that as well. As we get out of here, Amanda, what else is on your watch list? Oh, it is movie theater fucking season for us right now by the time you listen to this it won't be but right now in october (laughs) it totally is so many movies are coming out i cannot wait you know obviously we've got last night in soho french dispatch is coming out soon last duel comes out this week i'm finally gonna get to many saints of newark um i i like have time off for the first time in like three and a half weeks coming up soon (laughs) um so i'm gonna watch many saints of newark i'm excited yeah, so those are all pretty top of my list right now is getting back into the theater um, and seeing some of those new movies that have been pushed off that I've been looking forward to for a while. 
what are you going to be watching? To uh, make it to the point of, you know, watching movies in theaters again. Dune! Let the yeah, spice yeah, flow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I'm get to so find excited. figure out what the worm is all about. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet in his full Willy Wonka costume running through the desert. That's not the movie, but that's what's on my mind right now. Excited for Dune. I'm going to love that movie. All the movies you mentioned in theaters. I did have a weird No Time to Die experience where the people behind me were having a full-blown conversation for the first 15 minutes in the movie. And I was like, damn it, movie theaters are back. And I was like, <laughs> I might, I do kind of miss watching movies at home when nobody would talk and I could just watch the movie without worrying about people moving or whatever. But, um, you know, community experiences are important too. The Eternals is coming up and so is like Spider-Man in December. So, uh, you know, those will be great because we love the MCU here. But in terms of non-theater movies, um, movies I haven't seen before, like uh, Hocus Pocus or Practical Magic, um, Death Becomes Her, um, and then, you know, the Nora Ephron Extended Universe, which is peak fall in New York in my mind as a person who's never been to New York more than once. So uh, that's kind of what I'm feeling. The Ephroniverse. Um, <laughs> I can do this all if day. anybody wants to read, if anybody in December wants to read a good article about Nora Ephron's fall in New York on brightwalldarkroom.com, Carrie Corgan wrote a really cool essay um, about that. So um, I'll probably link to it again in December, but it's good. It's a good read. Yeah, I'm. I'll probably run back some of uh, the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. They're all movies mm-hmm. I've seen, all movies I really like, but watching. Uh, no Time to Die really made me realize how long it's been since I've seen them all and also yeah. how much I really like Daniel Craig as James Bond. So I'd like to do a revisit of a lot of those because I've already seen No Time to Die. I, it's not ex- especially urgent, but I'll probably put them on my list coming up here soon. But yeah, those are all great. There's so many good movies coming out by the end of the year. I totally forgot about Eternals and Spider-Man. By the time this comes out, like we'll be ramping up for Spider-Man. Be incredible incredible i can't wait it'll be great so thank you guys for listening i hope you all have a great and safe and amazing holiday i love the holidays um you can always find a new episode on the second tuesday of the month of blind spotters you can follow us on instagram at blind spotters pod you can find us on twitter at blind spotters it's a good time over there lots of fun stuff going on um zach where can they find you on the internet you can find me uh, on Twitter at Zach Pocklub and also on Letterboxd. And Amanda, where can people find you? If you would like to send me what you got for the holidays and any compliments, you can find me on all socials <laughs> at Amanda Luberto. I love it. Should we get out of here, friend? Let's do it. I got to go bake some holiday cookies and some make, make some soup. <laughs> send me your favorite <laughs> soup recipe at Twitter. <laughs> Beautiful. And just as a reminder, they didn't get anywhere near my tabloids. Ha, ha, ha.